0: Welcome back, Renegades. Welcome, Renegades. Welcome to another episode of Enlightening Nutrition with Eleni and guests. Yes,
1: welcome to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. Today, I am super excited for our guest that we have on here today, Dr. Marianne. I have known Dr. Marianne for the majority of my life, I think. (laughs) Um, And she is a pediatrician and osteopath at the Osteopathic Center of Coronado get that right. Yep. In California, In California. Right? Yes. Yep. Near San Diego. So, um, yes, we are super excited to have her expertise. Part of what led to this episode is a lot of our listeners that have kids have asked mm-hmm. a lot of questions about pediatric health and children's health and what to do, what not to do, how to handle this situation, how to handle that situation. And so I wanted to bring on an expert because I'm not an expert in pediatric health. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Dr. Marianne is. So, welcome to the podcast Dr. Marianne. We are so thrilled to have you here. Yeah, welcome.
0: I'm glad to be here. Yes.
1: So we'll jump right into our questions with you. Kay, do you want to open us up? Yes.
0: Okay. Um, Dr. Marianne, can you just tell us your story? Why did you decide to become a pediatrician and how did you begin your journey into osteopathic and natural medicine?
1: And maybe tell our listeners what osteopathic means. Yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, um, as the, as a as a baby i I was born in a, a very cold climate and I had a lot of respiratory infections and in, as a baby and uh, was was hospitalized a couple of times before I was three and um, some of which from two on I remember and wow. uh, and then I went on to have a lot of antibiotics and developed uh, asthma and allergies and eczema and um but my mother was was naturally health minded and uh, was was into real foods and uh, there were more real foods back then than there are now. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> and uh, but I, I struggled with all those issues during during uh, my my childhood, uh, and I was always interested in science, biology, and medicine and food. So, um, but I'd never heard of osteopathic medicine, and I was playing around with with what to, what to be when I grew, grew up. And um, I, a friend of mine told me about osteopathic medicine and I just went, oh, that's it. And so osteopathic medicine, MDs and DOs have an equivalent license in the United States. There are DOs all, all over the world. There are people who do oste, osteopathic manual medicine, um, but the licensing varies in, in different countries. Um, but here, it, the licensing's the same, and so I went through osteopathic medical school, and the philosophy is that the body can do a lot to heal itself, and the doctor's job is to remove any roadblocks. Those roadblocks may be nutritional, uh, they may be infectious, um, and they can be structural in the structure of our body, so we also learn hands-on manual medicine, which um, many DOs don't don't have the time to practice, but it's something that I did, that I chose to specialize in. And uh, it emphasizes the relationship between the structure of our body and our function. So kind of just like our car, if we run our car into something, it doesn't work as well, or if we don't tune it up. And now, uh, so same with our body.
1: Yeah, I love that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that part of your history. And I I worked for a chiropractor for a time. And so the philosophy that, you know, our body is designed to function optimally Mm -hmm. and that if we remove the roadblocks to that, it can continue to function optimally. That's like a, a philosophy that's near and Mm -hmm. dear to my heart and that I believe in quite a bit. So, um, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that, that story. So tell us about the osteopathic manipulative medicine and hands-on part that you practice, yeah. um, and, and maybe cranial therapy, what does it look like and how does it work? Yeah.
2: So there, there are lots of different types of manual medicine all, all across many, many specialties. Um, some of what we learn overlaps with chiropractic and some is, is unique to the osteopathic profession because I, 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 that I, because I start with newborns, I tend to, to emphasize the more gentle techniques. So, um, uh, so there's with, particularly with babies, it's very types of gentle techniques like myofascial release or balanced membranous tension, um, osteopathic cranial sacral work. So, so, there was William Gardner Sutherland, who was an osteopath, developed. The cranial work, which was which was not well received at first and uh, uh, but finally caught on. And and then uh, John Upledger, Upledger, who was an osteopath, um, felt like it wasn't being used enough by our profession. So he taught it to, to several to many types of practitioners, although it's done a little bit differently by an osteopath because we're working from a point of view of a diagnosis. So everything I do with, babe, um, with babies and children is gentle. The larger the, the, you know, when a child gets more towards full grown, you can use techniques that you might use with an adult, such as muscle energy. Um, I, I don't really do uh, high velocity just because not my specialty. <laughs> there are other people that are great at it. I'm not. Yeah. Um, but everything that we do with babies is, is very gentle. It's, it's not painful. Oftentimes, it's very relaxing. And it's really fun when I'm seeing a newborn and uh, the parents aren't quite familiar with it. And you'll see the baby just kind of go like this and relax. Um, or unless they're real colicky and occasionally they scream. But it's not about what I'm doing. It's about something that they want to be doing at that time sure <laughs> yes, yes.
0: yes. <laughs> that's amazing. so is that would that be like when they're born that you can feel like their the cranials like their skull and their head and then you just kind of feel yeah. it sure if, if something feels off you're able to kind of adjust
2: that yeah so it's very it's very gentle it, the body's doing the work I'm just creating the the, the platform for it so wow. it's, so I have a I have a beautiful picture of a baby who was actually treated in the delivery room because his father's a osteopath and he has his hands on the baby's head and the baby's kind of going, yeah, it's a little stuck over here, (laughs) but it's, it's very gentle. But, you know, when you think about a baby being born, the uterus is a really strong muscle and the other end is getting pushed too. And so, so the, so the tailbone is, is, can be compressed also particularly if it's a very long or strong hard labor
1: wow yeah. this is so interesting I, and, and yeah. so the birth process itself is is a little bit traumatic for an infant and so is yeah. osteopathic hands-on cranial manipulation is that something you'd recommend for every newborn
2: i would if you can find somebody in your area you'd be lucky but <laughs> yeah, right because mm-hmm. it does have to be somebody who who specializes in, in treating newborns but yeah it's it's wonderful for for babies and and moms and uh it you know it's a gentle balancing to just help their their nervous system and and uh, um for instance c-section babies tend to be they tend to be a little wetter because they didn't get wrung out yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and so sometimes you can help them to clear to clear fluid and it can help it can help with a lot of different different issues in the newborn period because a lot of the issues in newborns are are structurally related
0: wow this very is so cool. fascinating yeah like that's very cool at the, I want
2: you in the room with me is what I'm saying <laughs> yeah. so, so the baby is, is designed to be able to safely go through the birth canal and so but it helps if they if they if they flip they flip over and they're in the right position so the smallest part of the head prevent, uh, presents into the cervix and uh, uh, and then they it's it's kind of a dance between the mom and the baby and uh, uh, and the fluid will squeeze out a little bit to make the head smaller for safe passage and then. It's it's designed that the baby re-expands once they come out and take take a breath. So as they start to breathe, they they take a breath and it helps to re-expand their head and they start to make the transition to breathing air. And, uh, uh, and so, it, if need be, it can help with that with that process. Wow.
0: So my daughter, when she was born, she was sunny side up. So she was upside down and she came out with a squish, squish nose all the way down. And I thought if it's like this for life, I love her. I will love her anyway. But after a (laughs) month, her nose came up. But I wonder if her head, you know.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. Sunny side up is not the easiest for you or her. It was not easy, but yep. yep. (laughs) Because when you're sunny side up, your head's more like this. So it's not the smallest part. Mm-hmm. With the yeah, I felt that. And <laughs> then you can get the smallest diameter to go through the birth canal. Yep. And also, as they nurse at the breast,
1: mm-hmm.
2: that helps to, um, to, to open them up also, okay. because sucking at the breast is a completely different, um, different thing than nursing from a bottle, which is, which is really easy, but it helps develop the mid-phase and, and helps everything to re-expand.
0: Oh, oh wow, that's neat. How that's connected, and that how our biology kind of serves us to have healthy babies, and yeah. that's really neat. Well, good, yeah. <laughs> Nine years out, Roslyn's doing great. So good. good. <laughs>
1: awesome. So, when you do those osteopathic evaluations at birth, what are some of the most common findings that you have? What are some of the things you see?
2: Well, I t- I take the birth state the history to see if you know if there was medication or Pitocin or epidurals, what position the baby was in, how things when and then uh, uh, I do a regular pediatric exam and count the heart rate listen to the lungs and all of those things and then I also do a, a structural evaluation and I put two fingers underneath the tailbone to see if it's compressed sometimes when babies are born breech with their legs up they, they kind of keep their legs up because they've been up for a long time mm-hmm. and uh, and you can help them kind of figure out where their legs go not up by their ears all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I check their sock. I look for tongue ties or lip ties. Or um, ask the mom how breastfeeding is going. Is the baby able to uh, to, to get a, a, a good latch? Um, breastfeeding shouldn't be hard or painful, but sometimes it is. So then we have to figure out why. Mm. Uh, Tell mom and baby. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah, absolutely.
1: Wow. So you kind of just cover it all. Yeah, that's
2: amazing. Yeah. So then I put, I, I check, I take the rib cage and and really gently check their neck and gently put my hands on their head and, and see what's going on. Sometimes they have cone heads or they might have uh, the, the back of the head will be elongated because that was the part that went through the, the cervix first. So um, it's different for every baby. If if there's compression uh, in certain in certain parts, like the if the cranial nerve twelve to the tongue gets compressed, sometimes those babies have trouble figuring out how to use their tongue. Um, if they spit up a lot, some spitting up is common, but if they if they're really spitting up a lot, sometimes there's compression of the tenth cranial nerve, the vagus, which uh, uh, goes comes out back behind the head and so if if you work with those areas you can help those nerves to function better wow
1: that's so fascinating yeah. because i just think it's i mean working for a chiropractor you know we we specialized in pediatric medicine and it's amazing how much the rhetoric around a lot of those newborn problems like spitting up like indigestion like trouble breastfeeding um, difficulty wow. sleeping, colicky, fussy. It's amazing how much parents are just told, Oh, that's normal. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And and maybe to an extent a little bit yeah. of each thing, because the child obviously is adjusting to being earth side, but um, it's just amazing how much that's dismissed and the parent is told that's normal. But mm-hmm. from from what we're talking about and from what I saw in the chiropractic offices, it's really not like a normal, healthy, happy baby is is what's actually normal. Mm-hmm. It's just that the other things are common.
0: Yes. Which is yep. different
1: than normal. But yeah. um, it's just so fascinating to hear you talk about all of these things that I think a lot of new parents deal with that they may yeah. just think is par for the course, but actually mm-hmm. with some some manipulative work, some of the work, their baby could be a lot happier, yeah, wow, yeah.
2: yes, so it may it may be it may be normal, but it's but it's miserable right, yeah. <laughs> right. <birth>. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I had one mom who the baby was so fussy. The mom was crying. The baby was crying. It was, we're mad. all crying. Yeah. <laughs> we're all crying. Yeah. You know, her nipples were killing her. The baby was having trouble nursing, but the baby had a really thick tongue and lip tie and couldn't get a good latch. So he was swallowing all this air. So he was miserable. And um, uh, so he was one of the babies that, that was really helped by a laser release and, and, Shortly after that, he could breastfeed better. Mom wasn't crying, baby wasn't crying, <laughs> and right. was, yep. was yep. gaining weight better because he could because he could uh, get enough to eat.
0: Wow. Yeah. Um. And I support like a birth any way you can get it done. Right. And like, I know that if you do it natural or Pitocin or C C-section, it's just like whatever we can get done. But have you noticed any um, with like the Pitocin or anything, have you noticed differences that the babies need a little bit more adjustment time or have you really noticed anything or do you have any advice there?
2: Yes. So, so, so Pitocin is obviously a drug that our bodies, bodies make. When, when we give it by IV, it has to be titrated to the woman. Okay. And so if, if you give too much too fast, you just get a pounding la- labor. And okay. if, if, if the cervix isn't ready to open, you know, the baby's banging against a, a closed door. Okay. Um, and so, so it's not good or bad. It just has to be adjusted to the person.
0: Okay. Okay. That's good advice to kind of check in on the body and see what's going on. And okay. I like that.
1: Um, what, what should a, a child or a parent do for their child if they've been through a traumatic birth?
2: Um, if you have access to, to somebody who treats babies, I think that's really helpful. And then supporting breastfeeding also just really helps the baby and helps helps release the trauma,
0: yeah, wow. absolutely. That's really beautiful. how yeah, that's cool. See here
1: I'm on seven. I on seven here, I see. okay.
0: Um, let's see here. What sort of pediatric issues, toddler and older? do you see most commonly in your practice? And are you more on the baby side or do you also, how old do you get with your patients that you kind of notice?
2: Well, I never, I never get rid of them. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> forever. Good. I do college tune-ups sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I do see a lot of newborns and uh, I really, I really enjoy the working with the newborns, but I, but I do see children of all ages. Okay. Uh, I used to see a lot of ear infections. I, I don't see as many now. I think just because I, I tend to have a practice where they're tuned into nutrition and, and, and different things, but I, I do see some ear infections. I see a lot of allergies, asthma, colds. Um, unfortunately, autistic spectrum disorder uh, falls, uh, little injuries, insect bites, all kinds of just general pediatric issues. And then the osteopathic treatment is real helpful, especially during growth spurts, uh, and, and times when they're, they're kind of relearning their body because it's two inches taller.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. 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 Um, and I saw even on your website, you were talking about even for You know, of course, like an osteopathic evaluation can't change something for a child that's born with something like Down syndrome or, you know, something that's been their congenital at birth, but it could still help their child reach their full potential. Talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that. Um, how, how can it help a child reach their full potential, even if they're facing challenges the moment they're born?
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. So so having treated children with, with Down syndrome, because of the structure of their face, they tend to have a lot of sinus or ear issues. And so you can really help uh, minimize that. Um, I've also seen the, the shape of their head change from, uh, from a child who looks... A lot like Down's, but but if you work with the body early, you can you can change that. Uh, osteopathic treatment helps blood flow to the brain. Um, it just helps children to 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 reach their developmental milestones. Same with cerebral palsy. I, I've treated a lot of babies with cerebral palsy, and um, and you can really help them get much more motion. Uh, especially early on, the earlier you treat anything, the better. But I have, I have one child who I've treated on and off since she, she was a a young child and she's in her early twenties now, but, but it helps her. It helps keep her lungs clear. It helps keep her mobility. Um, It it, it helps decrease the spasticity depending on what type of cerebral palsy, how deep the injury was. it, It depends, but it it certainly helps her. Um, I have another child who develops uh, cerebral palsy, and he he hasn't had the, the the respiratory infections that that many kids with cerebral palsy do, simply because they can't clear their lungs.
1: Sure. Wow, how amazing! Yeah, how cool awesome. is
0: that? What um, what are some other things you would for our listeners? What's like a general what should I say, lifestyle roadmap that you give to your parents to kind of help their kids to thrive? Uh,
2: food, exercise, clean air and water. All of which got more difficult. Yep, yep. <laughs> Modern life is hard on those things, yep. yep. For babies, uh, tummy time is really important since the, the back to sleep program, a lot of people forget that babies need to be prone to play on a (laughs) safe surface uh, because going through those developmental milestones of um, of crawling on your belly and then pushing up to hands and knees are really important for the brain's development to accomplish before you start to walk. Kids will sometimes walk without going through those milestones, but, but sometimes they'll have difficulty reading later or they just don't get the coordination from the two sides of the brain uh, being able to talk to each other efficiently wow sure.
0: wow it's all connected it's crazy
2: uh. yeah and then outdoor play is really important for kids and kids need a, a minimum of 60 to 90 minutes of physical play a day Any anybody who's ever raised a boy needs that <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, yes, we see that.
1: Yep. <laughs> and nutritionally, what are some of your general recommendations that you make for parents who are dealing with health issues for their kids? I'm sure it's different depending on the issue, but maybe some overarching guidelines that you tend to follow.
2: Well, I think the most important thing is, is getting clean, whole food mm-hmm. and um, uh, avoiding food colorings and additives and, and GMO foods unfortunately, GMO foods have become a real problem. Uh, When we started out, glyphosate was used as a weed killer, but now it's sprayed. The plants have been manipulated to tolerate the spray directly. Mm. And so we're eating it. Mm. And um, it was declared safe because we don't have a shikimate pathway. Um, But our microbiome does. Mm. and, And that's, 70, 80% 70, 80% of our immune system is actually what, what resides in our, our gut. And so that's, that's a huge issue. Avoiding damaged oils. Um, you're building your child's palate in the first three years of life. And so you wanna make sure uh, that, that they're getting a variety of fresh fruits and vegetables and good proteins and proper car- carbohydrates. I can't tell you how many times I've heard he hates vegetables, and I'm like, shh, don't say that because he him. (laughs) Yes,
0: say he loves vegetables. We're trying them. We keep trying them. Yeah, yeah,
2: Yeah. and and parents, it's you have to serve them many times a day, not just at dinner, and you know, in different different styles, and and so those are because kids have no problem eating vegetables if that's what they're served. Yes. I get wedding one time and this woman goes, Oh my gosh, look at what those kids are eating. And and uh, the mother who was sitting next to me said, Well, my kids would be pretty hungry if they didn't eat these at our house. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, that's the way. Yep. <laughs> they need to be
0: coaxed into eating it and they can and they should. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh. Wow, that's um, I want to highlight what you said too, because that was such an an important point with the glyphosate is you know mm-hmm. like you said humans don't have the pathway that glyphosate affects with pests and insects um but our gut microbiome the bacteria in our gut do have that pathway and so glyphosate just the way that it's intended to affect pests affects your microbiome negatively and we've had several episodes on gut health we had our mm-hmm. gut health 101 we had Dr. Natasha Campbell on the show last week um, with the GAPS diet, which was really fun. And she talked all about the importance of yes. gut and psychology syndrome. So thinking yep. about that impact of glyphosate mm. on that again, just because it's quote unquote, safe for humans, doesn't mean it doesn't have any impact on our health
2: overall. Yes. yes.
1: <laughs> that was such a key point. Well,
2: originally it was actually licensed as an antibiotic. Mm. Um, and it has a lot of other ingredients in it too. Um, that, that, that aren't really good for us.
1: Wow. So looking for organic non-GMO foods is a really key thing for a parent to do. However, that can come within their reach.
2: Wow. Right. And non-GMO is helpful, but you don't, you don't know what that, that means. Okay. There's certain crops, um, uh, as, as I'm sure, you know, that are, that are sprayed right before harvest so so yes. for instance wheat in this country is not most of it's not genetically modified but it can be sprayed with glyphosate to dry it and increase the yield and then we're eating that and uh-huh. then with and then with fruits and vegetables some are sprayed the flower and during each stage of the growing season and so there's no way that that can be safe unless it's unless it's or, organic so it's helpful to look up the clean 15 and the dirty dozen
0: yes, um, yeah.
2: environmental working group.
0: Yep, yep. Wow, such good information.
1: So over your time, we talked a little bit about some of the the issues you see with the pediatric population over your time in practice, because you've been in practice for quite a while, has the pattern of pediatric issues you've seen changed in any way? Is there an increased frequency in any particular um, pediatric issue um, and if so why do you think that is?
2: Probably the most dramatic and the most heartbreaking is autism. Mm-hmm. When when I was in residency in the late 80s um, uh, in three years at Loma Linda University Medical Center major pediatric hospital I saw no autism. We had children with neurologic issues and brain issues and um, uh what is probably probably incorrect now, but you know, mental retardation, but they were not autistic. Okay. And uh, I began to see autism uh, pretty much within my first year of practice, and it's just grown exponentially. Hmm. Wow, it's really, it's really heartbreaking. I mean, in the before the nineteen eighties, it was about one in ten thousand. Okay. Now it's between one and one in 36 to one in 56
0: oh my gosh yeah
2: Yeah. it's pretty frightening and if you ask teachers and people who've worked with kids it's not just that we can diagnose it better which we are better at diagnosing learning issues and different different things now but but this is a whole different follow-backs
0: yeah. One in 10,000 to one in 36. That's a huge, that's not just counting better. like, no, that's yeah. Wow. What, what do you think is contributing to that?
2: Environmental toxins.
0: Okay. Okay. The toxic time. load. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So we yeah. should watch like, so then with our kids, like we should watch like our laundry detergent and our, you know, non gmo or glyphosate food and just watch now everything. Is that...
2: Of your yeah, is, we have to pretty much watch it, everything yeah the modern world yeah yeah and we're living in a sea of wi-fi and um you know frequencies that the human body's not quite used to but the other you know whenever there's a major shift in in health um you look at what changed in industry yeah or you know like like we used to eat lard and butter, and and now we have hydrogenated oils and we have yeah. damaged seed oils, and yeah. and that's, that's probably made a big huge difference in, you know, heart disease which skyrocketed. But one of the things that happened in the in the around 1986 was, the vaccine manufacturers went to Congress and said, if you don't indemnify us, um, we're going to quit making childhood vaccines because we're paying out too much. Money and damages, and so if you look at the what happened to the vaccine schedule after that, it went from four different things to to many different things. Um, So, Uh, but but now now I'm beginning to see uh, children where I can't always pin. I used to pretty much be able to pinpoint where an insult occurred. Okay, uh, because because there was a a time of regression regression is never normal you know you can regress for a week or two when you're dethroned by a new brother or sister but you know yeah feet or motor milestones you know or eye contact regresses you need to move quick and figure out figure out why
0: wow wow so really be aware of your child and be aware of their stages and really clue in and wow.
2: Yeah. Sometimes it's a cumulative effect. And so you have to, sometimes I do a timeline history to help figure out where, where the insult might've been. So we know where to look to for this, for a solution.
1: Sure. Wow. Yeah. So a couple of things I want to touch on there is one of them is, you know, I know, people have argued a lot, well, we're just better at identifying autism or we have um, like better guidelines in place or descriptions in place, or, you know, we classify things as autism where we didn't. And that's the reason for the increase. But like you said, it went from one in 10,000 mm-hmm. to one in 36. So You mm-hmm. can't tell me
2: that mm-hmm. that
1: 20 years ago, 30 years ago, people were so bad at identifying mm. autism that they were missing 9,000 thousands yeah. and thousands of children, <laughs> 9, right? 9, like, yeah, 9,000 children in that, like, you just can't, but I'm sorry, but right. I understand that there are different classifications and that that has probably increased numbers a little bit, right? But it's not like right. that's the contributing factor. <laughs> mm-hmm. right.
2: right. Well, yeah, I, And you look at the number of kids, you know, in, in, who have individual educational programs or, mm-hmm. you know, who are in special ed and it, it's yes. just huge in, in a lot of schools. Yep.
1: And the other thing I want to touch on is what you said is it used to be fairly simple for you to go back and identify what the insult was. But now that's really difficult. Is that because we're just so many things from birth, our mm-hmm. kids are going through so many things from birth. It's really hard to pick out just one thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Because, because we have so many uh, so many things going on hmm
0: Yep. Like yeah. that death by a thousand cuts or whatever that saying is. It's so true. It's like, gosh, so we just have to be aware of everything and make all the changes we can. And it, and it matters. All the little things matter, you know?
1: So you started to touch on it and I'd like to go into more detail on it um, because you mentioned vaccines and that vaccine schedule and some of that contribution to a lot of the pediatric issues you're seeing in your office, especially like autism spectrum disorders, um, can you talk to us about about vaccine injuries and how that mechanism might affect a child? And then, what can a parent do for vaccine injuries?
2: <laughs> this is a hot potato topic. Yeah, hot potato. That's right. right. So, so vaccines are not good or bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we may be giving too many too soon. okay. Um, and um, and with, uh, with vaccine companies having immunity, there's not a push to create less toxic vaccines.
1: Right. Um,
2: and, and so I think, I think parents just need to, to read up on the issue, look at their family history, um, think about, how vulnerable their child is. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some countries that start vaccines a little later than we do, and mm-hmm. they don't give quite quite as many. But also, you know, most kids do fine. But um, but parents need to be aware of of their family history. Mm-hmm. And Even they, just
0: one more insult, you know, on their body, you uh, all the other Yeah, ones
2: are up. yeah. and then. Children need to be well when they get vaccines, uh, because they never want to miss a chance to immunize. So even if a child is, you know, has a low grade fever or a a bit of a cold, um, they're, they're happy to, to immunize. You need to make sure that their diet is good for, well, their diet should be good all the time, but especially for, you know, two, three weeks beforehand, you want to certainly get rid of sugar and, and, um, uh. that type of thing and mm-hmm. just support their, support their nutrition.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yes. I know Dr. Natasha, when we were interviewing her in the gut and psychology episode, she said that we shouldn't even have a sniffle. If your child is showing any signs of being immunocompromised yeah. at that moment, don't right. vaccinate them right mm-hmm. then wait until they're well.
2: Yeah. Right. Wow, And
1: also to look at the child's history and are they showing some of those um, those indicators of gut, their gut being compromised. So are they colicky? You know, are they having a lot of issues with reflux? Are they having issues with digestion? Um, look for those things. Are they getting skin rashes, eczema? Don't. and And to consider that as an indication that their gut is already damaged and not to vaccinate at that time, because you're adding one more insult mm. that affects the gut microbiome into that child's repertoire now. And so it could be the thing that kind of pushes them over the edge.
2: Right. And then you have to, you know, be aware of mom's gut health history also, and whether, you know, it was a C-section birth, did she need antibiotics? Did she need antibiotics for something else when the baby was, was small? Uh, There's an interesting new probiotic for, for infants that, um, doesn't colonize, but it helps, uh, it helps, it helps the baby to colonize. Mm. And, um, uh, so, so their, their, their gut is immature for the first two years of life. It, it, it's got a pretty good start by six months, but takes a while for the, for the baby's gut to fully colonize.
0: Wow. So interesting. So supporting
1: their gut health is yeah. important.
0: Yeah. Um, like the building blocks. Yeah. As,
2: as babies, the brain is immature. The liver's immature. So the detox pathways are immature. So you have to take all, all of those things into account also.
0: Yep. Absolutely. If, what can a parent do if their child has been injured by, if they can relate the injury back to a vaccine kind of pattern of that timing? Um, What are some things a parent could do to kind of help out?
2: Well, one one thing you used to be able to check for hot lots of vaccines because there were certain there were certain vaccines that that caused more reaction. Okay. It's helpful to know um, if if it's recent and and it should be reported to the vaccine adverse event reporting system, which is okay. a little bulky to use. But but if things don't get reported, nobody knows what's what's going on. Yeah. Um, and then you need to find a physician who knows how to, to help with those issues. Um, we look at the gut. We look at a lot of different things. One of my favorite tests is an organic acid test because it's a urine test. And it gives me 74 different markers in different areas that have to do with mitochondria and, and uh, uh, gut issues. Okay. And that kind of thing. Um, I treat all, all of these children osteopathically, which really, really helps. And so you you just have to tune up their life, find out if they're, they're foods that they shouldn't be eating that are inflammatory foods.
0: Okay. Okay. And then it's like the real food diet and the whole food and the real food and yeah, you know, from the earth and then get them pumped up on nutrients to help. Yeah. Out.
2: And, you know, for the kids on the spectrum, a lot of them have issues with casein in milk it's usually not the lactose it's usually the casein the the milk protein Um, and a lot of them have issues with the gluten and those tend to be inflammatory foods but when you take those out you just have to be careful that you substitute whole foods and not just um, processed gluten-free foods Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes those have cross cross reactivity Mm Yeah, very true.
1: On the um the vaccine adverse event reporting system, I know Harvard did a study on that particular system and they to see whether it was accurately capturing um the adverse events related to vaccines or not. And in that one particular study they found that it captured less than 1% of adverse yeah. events associated yeah. with vaccines. Oh, wow. yeah.
0: Yeah,
2: because I wouldn't uh, have known to put on on it. Yeah, a lot of people um don't don't know about mm-hmm. it, and a lot of uh, physicians don't know about it, and um uh and and it's it it's it's a fairly bulky system to to use. Wow!
1: But I I love your philosophy that you know again, and I it's in line with what Doctor Natasha said, and I love, I just love that philosophy. It's not that because. Like you said, vaccines are a hot potato issue, right? And people tend to have a lot of emotional reactions when Mm -hmm. you bring up this topic, but I like to get into it in a safe and supportive way, because like you said, it's not black or white. It's Mm -hmm. not like vaccines are the problem. It's that they're one of many assaults Mm -hmm. that a child faces from birth. And for some children, it could be the final Mm -hmm. drop in the bucket that causes all the water to overflow. And for some children, it's not, it Mm -hmm. might just be one insult along the way. And they may be fine because they're not being subjected to some of the other insults that children who have an adverse reaction to a vaccine are. So it's not black or white. It's not in people's heads. It's not imagined. It's not
0: (laughs) real or not
1: real. It's just simply to me, it's like, it's just, it Makes yeah. sense, yeah. It's one thing yep. that the one part of anything, yeah, that may be affecting a child's health. And for some children, it is the final event, it is the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. Mm-hmm. That we then see a regression, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it doesn't have to be the thing, or like you know, we see plenty of children who are unvaccinated who develop autism,
0: yes, yes. and plenty
1: of children who are vaccinated who don't develop autism, yes. and so yes. it's not just. It's not so linearly causal like that. But for um, parents who would like to vaccinate their children, is there a recommended safe way and schedule that you would suggest that they can do to to do that or a resource that you could direct them to, to help them make those decisions?
2: So, so I, I think part of it too, is that um, as we said, vaccines are not good or bad and it depends which you feel is the greater risk. You know, for instance, when you look at the childhood schedule, the baby schedule, is this the baby disease or not? Right. Um, does it need to be done now? Where is my baby? So there's there's no right or wrong answer for for each family. Um, are you moving to a to a third world country tomorrow? you know do you have safe water is your child in daycare with 30 kids or at home breastfeeding and doesn't see anybody but the family and and so there are a lot there're there're a lot of different different issues mm-hmm. and and so you know parents need to look at their family history are there are there neurologic issues are there gi issues are there autoimmune issues how if siblings and nieces and nephews done with with vaccines um and and then decide what they want to do. I live in a state where um, medicine is legislated, so there's not a lot of freedom. If you want your child to go to daycare or or public school, so certain things have to be accomplished by by certain ages. And and I have a real problem with with medicine being legislated because it's because it's not one size fits fits all, no matter what it is. But there are several people who have. Um, uh, schedules, suggested schedules that stretch things out a a little bit and delay some of the, the vaccines that are, that are not childhood related.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and are there particular resources? I think there's maybe the vaccine friendly plan. Are there particular resources you recommend for parents to read up on it?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a good book. Um, an older book, Dr. Dr. Brock also had a, a, as it has a, a different schedule um, i know in japan they they don't start until later and they don't do as many and and so there're lots of lots of things parents can look at to become educated
1: and for parents who choose not to vaccinate their children how can they do that safely
2: Okay, <laughs> I can't answer that. <laughs> but, but you need to do all the general health things and make sure that they're on a good diet and that you're doing other things for our health. I mean, sometimes we think that's the only thing that we that that we do to prevent disease, and it's not because we're we're exposed to all kinds of viruses and bacteria every every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so so you do you have to be educated. Particularly if, 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 if that's your choice, you need to know when your child is sick, at what point do you need to have them seen by a doctor? What do you have in your home um, medical arsenal that you can do to help them? How do you take care of a sick child? You know, it's almost like we've gotten so far away from the body that we forget basics. Like if you have a fever, it's like being in the desert, you need a lot of fluids.
0: Mm-hmm. You need
2: to know when a fever is too high. You need to know, you know, different signs to look for. So, so being a parent's terrifying sometimes. Right. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Sometimes. Amen. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yep. I remember crying because my son had a really bad diaper rash when he was three days old, and my husband said, "It's diaper rash."
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> the least of our troubles is yeah. diaper rash. <laughs>
0: so true so true when you're in that heightened emotions of having a a new baby everything is terrifying but yep just keep your wits about you be aware of your kid do the best you can and yep keep trying
1: um i i think we're we're almost reaching the end of our list of questions here but um are there any Parting thoughts that you have on children's health or anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to cover with our listeners, ways Mm -hmm. that they can optimize their child's health, anything like that?
2: Well, you know, I think, I think one thing is, is looking at children's health historically, it's really changed quite a bit in the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. And so we've, this last year, not accepted. uh, (laughs) We, we don't, Kids don't have as many communicable diseases, but we have a lot more chronic illness in children. Mm-hmm. We have a lot more allergies and GI issues. And and so so the landscape has changed. And so parents just need to be aware of that and be able to help their 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 kids have healthy lives and, um, uh, you know, and, and learn to make food choices and and learn that there are consequences to uh, Two other choices,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: and
1: you mentioned sometimes, sometimes
2: um, it's worth it, and sometimes it's not. Right. And <laughs> <laughs> a certain age, you responsible for your behavior either way. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, right. And you mentioned um, screens too, and the like exposure now to like the cell phone, cell phone waves, and things like that. Um, what What's your opinion on that? Is that something parents should be aware of and and work towards mitigating?
2: Absolutely. Because we, we know that, we know that all these different wavelengths, some affect health adversely, they affect the immune system. And, and some people develop BMF sensitivity, which is a real problem these days, because there's no way to get away from it. Um, they also need to realize the content that that kids have access to from a very early age Mm -hmm. Um, it's a you know if you hand an eight-year-old or nine-year-old on a phone that has internet they can find pretty much anything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, baby skulls are very thin they're about the thickness of a wax uh, milk carton Mm -hmm. and Oh, so the waves just go straight through their head. And if you've ever put your phone up to your ear, it heats up and it heats up whatever body part it's near. And if they're using tablets, they need to be on a table, not on their lap. And, and parents really need to control the amount of time. Um, my child used to joke that his phone was a was a glorified calculator after after 9 or 9.30. Yeah. 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 And electronics should not be in the bedroom. There should be a parking place for everybody's electronics that's that's not in, in the bedroom. And mm-hmm. computers shouldn't be in the bedroom. Computers should always be in a, a public base place in the house. And my biggest peeve is telephones at the table. Oh right. And I'm still working on my husband on that one. But yeah. it makes me <laughs> it crazy. It's like having a third or fourth person at the table.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> yep. And, yep. And well, I got to take this. Yep.
2: Meal <laughs> time with children is really important because yeah. that's the time for talking. It's a time for or just a relaxing space to be able to digest and to connect. And there are a lot of studies that show that teens that eat with their families, mm. you know, at least part of the time uh, have a lot fewer problems. Yeah.
0: Yep.
1: Yeah. So the, the child that's eating dinner with a tablet in front of them playing a show that seems like something you wouldn't support. Yeah. Yeah.
2: No, no, not unless you're in a desperate occasional situation, but, but, you know, and kids learn from watching you eat Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: particularly from watching their dads eat. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: uh, so it's all of those things are important.
0: That's true. We have to control our own addiction to it to help our kids fight their
2: addiction to it. It's all going to I know. I remember when my when my child was younger thinking, okay, I'm just going to have to, con- when he drives, I don't want him, you yeah. know, texting or doing whatever. So I'm not going to answer the phone in the car. <laughs> yeah, so he knows that's
0: not
1: normal. Yeah. It to
2: be time with him, yeah. you know, time that I'm. I'm talking away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's such a healthy, wonderful perspective <laughs> yeah. on it too. Yeah. Yeah. It does drive me. I even, I don't have children. Right. So I never mean to come across judgmental mm-hmm. because I'm sure when you're a parent, things are completely different, but yep. from my outside perspective, wow. <laughs> yep, 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 it's yep. like when I'm at a restaurant or something and I see kids that are just with their families out having a meal and they're just on their phones the like, whole time. Yeah, everyone at the table's on their own phone. Yeah. yeah, like, well, the the thing is then that kid isn't learning how to have, you know, if they're with extended family and their parents just set a phone in front of them so that they don't interrupt them. It's like the child's also not learning how to interact.
0: hmm and see that and
1: share yeah. a meal with somebody and have conversation yeah. with sharing a meal with somebody is one of the most intimate things you can do in a relationship yeah. and so when you just tune the other person out
0: yeah yeah it's like the easy way out but it's not growing them yeah right yeah Yep, I've been there. I've been in both situations. I understand. Yep, yeah. Yep. And
1: sometimes you, do you just have to maintain your sanity. Yeah. Right? Yep.
0: Sometimes you know, do your best exactly. and then, okay, you now watch a show. Yep. 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 We yep. all do better there for sure. For sure. Is
1: there anything you recommend, um, like steps, parents, because obviously we're surrounded by electromagnetic frequencies, the EMFs? Is there anything that's protective, like a protective device a parent can have in a house or methods um, that they can implement to help protect their family?
2: Well, one thing that's really helpful, even though we're in the sea of EMFs, is to turn off the Wi-Fi in your house and everybody tends to sleep better and make sure that there's not a, a source of, of an electronics a, electronic device near your child's bedroom, mm, that okay. there's not a block of smart meters on the electric meters right outside their window or those, those types of things. Um, Unfortunately, there's so many electronic devices that that there are ways to mitigate it, uh, but and that's something that that parents need to learn. Um, mm. But but it is really helpful if if they're able to turn off the Wi-Fi at night. Um, I insisted that all our computers be hardwired.
0: <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah,
2: but, but it does affect things like your automatic, you know, your. alarm system or you know they're just a lot of there are a lot of different issues these days yeah Um, and there are companies that can check and uh you know some people who live under cell phone towers it it can be a real real health issue sometimes wow Mm,
0: yeah wow yeah, yeah. That's all now. Yep. We're now it's I'm the reality
1: invisible things too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the reality we live in now. And it's yeah. not, yeah. it's not meant to inject fear, but it's yeah. just being aware yeah. of what we're dealing with and what we're up against so that you can do your best. Yes. In Another. Yeah. yeah. Um, for, for, uh, like parents that want to find an osteopathic doctor near them is there a resource or a database or anything where a parent could go and search like, like osteopathic doctor near me <laughs> <laughs> you can look up osteopathiccranialacademy.org
2: i think it's dot org, okay uh, and you can type in a zip code and then you can check and see whether it's somebody who sees adults and children or or, uh, or more adults
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome! Good. That's
0: yeah. a good resource. And do you take remote patients?
2: You know, uh, I I meant to check on that. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Really, I I would love to. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. happy to talk to people, but I I think uh, I think I have to be licensed in the state. Oh, I, I see. people who who come to see me.
0: Got it. Got it. Yep. And there is something to that. Um, in person, you can. See them and touch them and check their skin color tone under their eyes or whatever you do, but, um, there is something to in-person as well, but yeah. Then how can our, yeah. How can our listeners connect with you? Do you have like a website or on social media?
2: I have a website, drmarianne.com. Okay. And I'm going to work on an Instagram account.
0: You should (laughs) definitely should get all this
2: knowledge to the world. It's kind of a necessary. Yep. Yep yeah yeah because people really need to realize kind of the global picture of what's going on and what's helpful for their children yeah Yeah. it's crazy you know when you watch tv with commercials it's like i just saw 10 full minutes of yeah commercials
0: yes yes junk food all of it yeah
2: food like food to me, but if I ate it, it probably would. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I I support you getting out on social media because yeah. I think you just are such a wealth of information. And, you know, for me, it's it's not my favorite avenue. Like I don't love having to be tied to those platforms, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's it's the way that I can share information that has value to yes. a wider audience. So yeah. if people are going to be on it you kind of like, if you can't beat it, join it, you yes. know, yep. it's It'd like the good drop in the ocean. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of bad that comes from those platforms, but if yeah. you can be a source of good on yeah. them, then, and I think you just have such, you're such a radiant beam of yes. nutritional light yes. that I would love for you to be able to have a, a platform to share that from that parents could just learn from you and learn tips and tricks and even little things to help yeah. make their yeah. lives just a little bit easier is so valuable. Cause yeah. I'm sure parenthood is just hard enough in and of itself. And so Mm -hmm.
0: yes, (laughs) amen. (laughs) one thing, like just making it 2% easier is going to be great. (laughs) Yep. Life's a little thing. So yes.
2: Yes. And one other thing is, is parents really need to teach their children how to shop for and cook healthy food. Yes. That is a life skill and it's no longer taught in school. They've abolished home ec and, uh, Actually, in the early part of the 1900s, they separated agriculture from medicine, and it's been kind of separated ever since. And uh, uh, you know, food food is is our medicine. Yes. But even a small small child, you know, I used to have a little um, blunt blunt knife, and I would give my son little things to to cut up fruits and vegetables to cut up, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, how to make, how to make simple meals. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, with real are, food that are healthy with real food, because otherwise they, yeah. they, they're, they're lost in a
1: food desert. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think learning those skills early yeah. on so that you're not learning them in your thirties, is yep. so valuable. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. So true. Well, Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing. And it feels hopeful. Like, I feel like I want to go home and cook with my kids now. This is great.
1: (laughs) So good. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Marianne. We've really just appreciated your knowledge and your expertise. And I'm so glad to have somebody who really understands pediatric health, be able to share some of that information with our listeners. And we'll for sure link those resources that you mentioned your website and also the website that parents can use to find a cranial specialist who can do that. Um, yeah. In their area and find somebody that can work with their kids. Cause I can speak firsthand, at least from the chiropractic side of things where sometimes there's cranial manipulation. It's, it is really a helpful, helpful. kids yeah. sleep better, digest better, use the bathroom better. Yep. tolerate more foods, cry less. I mean, so for parents who are looking for that, I think it's such a valuable resource. So we'll that. make sure to share all of those. And thank you so much for your time today. This has been so valuable. And yes. I can't wait to share it with our listeners. Thank you for your yes. wisdom so much. Thank you. Yes.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
1: Yeah, of course. It's been an honor. All right. All right. Listeners. Okay. Well, go be go renegades. Go be
2: renegades.